Hello, my name's Tim, and it's my privilege to read from Acts chapter 8. This passage comes straight after the killing of Stephen and follows Philip, one of the newly elected deacons, as he meets Simon the wizard. Now, I've had a little bit of help with this reading. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralysed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practised sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptised, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptised. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When everything goes wrong, when the enemies triumph, when all the weaknesses surface, when cancer strikes, when the bribed judge gets away with it, when the killer walks free, is God still at work? Is his kingdom still growing? Or could it be that even when you feel your life is being smashed apart, God is spreading his good news in a powerful new way? That's the good news about persecution. But it never feels like good news at the time. Years ago when I was traveling in China, I met someone who had known the great Chinese leader watchman Ni. Ni was one of the great figures of Chinese church history. The first man really to establish the house churches of China. He told me about one famous incident. The government was starting to crack down and Ni needed to gather all the leaders together to tell them how to negotiate these tough times. So he arranged for them all to come, I think it was to Shanghai, and he would speak to them. The police got wind of this meeting and they arranged to attend in plain clothes. And the moment Ni spoke would be the signal to rush the platform and arrest him. Now Watchman Ni was told of this and he was advised not to come but he desperately wanted to give some guidance to his followers. Times were hard. Times were going to get harder. 
they needed to hear some advice from the great man. So this is what he did. And he came onto the platform. He just strode to the lectern. And then all he did was just look at everybody. Didn't say a word. For five whole minutes, he just looked at the audience. And they began to wonder, has he lost his nerve? Does he know what's going to happen to him if he speaks? And then he put on a very angry face and he picked up the glass that was full of water for the speaker and he dashed it onto the platform. And he crunched the glass, looking smug with his work. And everybody wondered, what's he doing? What's going on? Then he stopped and he looked down at the pieces. His face began to change from hatred to horror. He held his hands to his temple. How could I have been so stupid? His expression seemed to say. And he got down on his hands and knees and began to pick up the pieces of the smashed glass. And he tried to put the glass back together again. Of course, this was futile. But he tried for five minutes. And then he gave up and walked off. Hadn't said a word, so the police couldn't act. But everybody, all the church leaders in that meeting, knew exactly what he had said. And I remember this man that I met. He said, Nee was acting out a parable. He represented the state, and the glass was the church. And the time would come when the state would smash the church. And that would be hard to live through, but it was coming. But then, the state would realize that it had made a mistake because in smashing the church, it had not destroyed it. It had just dispersed it underground where it was beyond state control. And so the state would realize its mistake and try to reconstitute the glass, try to bring the church back up to the surface where it could see what was going on. And he said it would fail because the smashing had been too thorough. Never again would the state be able to control the church. And that is exactly what happened. That's how it played out historically. Mao Zedong came along and he smashed the churches in China. But the Christians went into the homes and there the gospel became part of Chinese culture, embedding itself in families, sitting rooms, apartment blocks, in a way that missionaries had only dreamt of for centuries. One Shanghai pastor put it this way, before the early 1960s, we practiced Christianity in churches and hardly anywhere else. After the persecutions, we practiced it in our homes and therefore everywhere else. It took a smashing. And that's one of the stories that explains how China experienced such a massive revival. And that is a contemporary rerun of what happens in the book of Acts. From chapter 1 to chapter 6, everything goes great for the early church in Acts. The action all occurs in Jerusalem, there's growth, there's healing, and the church keeps on expanding. But the Holy Spirit knows something that the apostles did not that if the people of God stayed in Jerusalem, then the gospel of God would die in Jerusalem. Because at this point, 
the apostles have no idea that Gentiles should also believe in Jesus. They thought the gospel was just for Jews. So in chapter 7, there comes a smashing. Stephen is put on trial, and following his martyrdom, we read that a great wave of persecution rose up. And then we see the line added, all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And so we see that persecution always does two things as it scatters believers. One, power gets shifted downwards to people who've never had it before. So who becomes the first man to take the gospel to a non-Jew? Well, it's not an apostle because they were staying in Jerusalem. It was a deacon whose name was Philip. Now, that wouldn't have happened if there hadn't been this smashing. In Jerusalem, the apostles were the teachers and evangelists. The deacons, they were in charge of the fabric and the food. Persecution changes all that. Power shifts downwards to people who've never had it before. Philip finds himself able to preach, and he is the first cross-cultural missionary of the church. He wasn't ordained. He shouldn't have done it. The Holy Spirit doesn't care. And the second great gift of persecution is not only that power gets shifted downwards to people who've never had it before, but people get pushed outward to places they've never been before. Who does Philip share this gospel with? He shares it with the Samaritans. And they were half Jews, but very despised in Jerusalem. The hatred between Jew and Samaritan ran very deep, like enmity between Catholic and Protestant, maybe in Northern Ireland. It would never have crossed Philip's mind to share Jesus with the Samaritans if he'd stayed in Jerusalem. But because he found himself on the run in Samaria, he preached. And suddenly he realizes Jesus died for Samaritans too. So it was in China. The gospel goes down to the people who've never had it before, ordinary people, and to places where it's never been before the family unit. And from that came the world's largest revival. But it took a smashing. Behind all this lies a very disturbing question, though. Why does the church appear to need a smashing or persecution or hard times in order to share the gospel? And this is one of the most sobering truths of the Bible. God's people have a fatal tendency to try to keep God to themselves. If you want to say God is for everyone, you encounter very often the most resistance from the people of God themselves. A smashing. It often takes a smashing. But that's how the good news jumps a barrier. That's how the good news gets from Jerusalem to Rome. That's how the good news gets from a Jewish enclave to the center of the Gentile world. It took a smashing. It's hard news, but it's good news. Listen for the crunch. It's good news. It's a good sound. It's the gospel getting out.
A few weeks after becoming a Rev, I found myself at a petrol station late one Sunday evening. The car had run out of juice and I was forced to stop to a few. I just wanted to be home, but I was hours away still. As I waited for the filling machine to stop, I noticed a lady had collapsed just outside the shop door. I go over to see if I could help, but immediately she notices my clerical collar and grabs my hand. In the next few minutes, as we wait for help to arrive, she tells me her story about how she just lost her husband to cancer and how much she missed him. Then suddenly, as if she had just remembered, she tells me that there's a man in the back of her car who had just been stabbed and was bleeding quite a lot. He had been in a fight and she had offered to take him to hospital. Slightly confused, I find myself heading over to her car, unsure of what to expect. But as I approach, the back window comes down and a voice says to me, All right, vicar. We shake hands and I say, I hear you've been causing trouble. The bloke, of course, promises that he's been behaving and that he will let the medics when they arrive to look at his face. I bless him and I go on my way. Now, without this piece of plastic around my neck, that evening, and without the Spirit's guidance, I don't think I would have had the invitation that I had to bring the peace and the love and the joy of Christ into that situation. I stood out because everyone knew that I stood for Jesus. And here in Acts 8, as we are greeted by a scattered church, we see that they are one that knew what they stood for. This is a community of faith who were captivated by the mission and ministry of Jesus. A ministry that was so good it had to be shared regardless of the cost. You see, the church of Acts may have been scattered initially, but they knew what they stood for. In this scattering and severe persecution, we read of unnamed preachers joining in with the apostles to spread the beautiful news of what Jesus has done and what he continues to do through his spirit and what he will do when he returns. You see, the spread of the gospel is not limited by persecution when it comes our way. This is because God's purposes will be fulfilled, because Jesus completed his Father's redemptive rescue plan for the whole of our cosmos on the cross. If he didn't, then we have to wait for a new Messiah to come. As we've just watched together, that brave pastor in Colombia knew that death would not defeat his and our living faith, because the victory is already ours through Jesus. The threat of death for our faith is 
unlikely to come to most of us in Winchester and the nearby areas. Yet that does not mean that we are to simply check out of sharing our faith of Jesus with our friends and neighbours and even those who perhaps scare us most. And as members of a community of faith scattered right across the globe, we must stand with our sisters and brothers who face persecution for their faith because there is only one faith and one church. The most resounding note within the Great Commission that we find in Matthew 28 verses 16 to 20 is the word all. Jesus claims all authority, earthly and heavenly, and the disciples are commissioned to disciple all nations. No nation gets left out. For the Christian, the only defeat is disobedience to Jesus Christ, who calls us to become more human each day. When we know what we stand for, we start to stand out in our local communities and places of work. The Great Commission was not given to spiritual giants. It was given to an ordinary group of devoted, failure-prone learners, people like you and me. To make disciples means to bring people into connection with Jesus Christ, to enroll them into his school. It implies radical, lifelong commitment regardless of what troubles come our way. So I pray that you may know that in our, in our scattered daily realities, Jesus asks us to dare to let go, to surrender our fears and spread our hands out as we receive his love and joy and hope. After all, the promise of Jesus is that mission is achievable because as he said I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen.